You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Reverend Edwin Johnson, Rector of St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Edwin, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we asked you to be a part of this uh, alumni interview series uh, because we know that you have been involved uh, with the um, Presiding Officers Advisory Group on Beloved Community Implementation uh, in the Episcopal Church. Uh, that's that's a bit of a mouthful. I'm wondering if you can uh, unpack for us uh, what that is, um, you know, what what the actual you know group is and your role, and then uh, tell us a little bit um, about about that ministry. Amen. So it is absolutely a mouthful, no question about that. And I think we've spent the last, the better part of the last several years trying to figure out a better way of describing <laughs> it. And we haven't. So so there we are. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, the work has been absolutely amazing. It grew out of general convention. So rewinding, uh, which feels like a long way away, <laughs> back to our general convention in Austin, Texas, I was the chair of Committee 9, which is on interracial justice and reconciliation. And as that committee, there were a couple pieces of work that we committed to, that we really committed the church to. One was making sure that we were funding and resourcing and supporting the work of becoming beloved community, the work of dismantling racism in a deeply contextual way, because one size does not fit all. And two, uh, making sure that we're allowing and facilitating having everyone who is doing that contextual work be in the kinds of relationships and in collaboration with each other to support that work. And so that's really where it came from. And and to put it really plainly, it was in the matter of giving grants and gathering people through summits. And so when the convention finished and you know the funding thank- thankfully was supported and we moved ahead, uh, the time came to figure out, okay, who is going to do this work in between conventions? And so what's interesting is that at that convention in Austin, Texas, my partner was pregnant with our second child. Mm-hmm. And so I purposely did not uh, put my name in for any of the interim bodies. I said, you know what? I'm going to be way too busy. <laughs> We're about to have this baby. And roughly... Uh, a month or so after Santiago, our younger son, was born, uh, the call did come to chair this particular committee. And so here I am. <laughs> here you are. Over these past, you know, now more than two years, uh, the committee has put forth uh, four different rounds of grants. And all of these grants have been you know, really targeted to supporting the building of movements around racial justice and racial reconciliation. And then the summit aspect has obviously been very much impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We had organized and planned a fabulous summit to take place uh, to actually begin on El Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, and 2020. And, you know, even as things were starting to, to creep up a little bit, we figured we would still have it. Well, that had changed and uh, we ended up doing a virtual summit that was also very successful and have since then done some smaller gatherings. And so that's what we've been up to uh, for the most part. And it has been it has been quite the ride. The community that's been gathered around this work 
has been really the most prophetic, wise, and passionate group of people I've ever had the chance to work with, uh, representing all geographical corners of the Episcopal Church, representing the different ethnic groups, representing uh, different classes and genders and everything. And so it's been fabulous leading this group and really just walking alongside them as they figure everything out. You talked about giving these targeted grants in different, um, you know, in different regions and two different, you know, bodies and organizations. I'm wondering if there's maybe one or two um, approaches that have been proposed and funded in some particular communities that you might uh, tell us a little bit about so people can uh, picture this work uh, a little bit, um, a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are so many wonderful examples that I can think about. The ones I'll raise up, so many of these projects have been around lifting up the voices and the stories of people whose you know, voices and stories have largely been marginalized. And so you know, we had the chance to really focus on helping people use different media, use uh, different resources available to them and to us uh, to lift things up. There, as an example, uh, there's a group in Connecticut uh, that is predominantly uh, Haitian and Haitian American. And one of the things that we funded with them is a film project uh, in Haitian Creole uh, that would allow them to um, talk yes about their past where they come from, but also their present, um, but to tell it in their own words, um, in their own languages, uh, from their own perspectives, and to have a voice that would obviously be valuable in and amongst them as they can sort of hear the stories and share their stories with each other, uh, while also uh, being something that is really unique that we can share with the rest of the church. And so that's one example. Uh, on the other end, you know, one question that we asked ourselves, especially heading into the second round of grants that were, you know, shortly after George Floyd, that were very much rapid response is, you know, how are these grants saving lives? Are these grants saving lives? And so those are big questions that we asked. And so one of the things, the programs that we funded was a group that was collaborating with a, with a collaboration with a conglomeration of black nurses. And what they were doing was providing sort of spiritual, emotional, um, some financial and other forms of support to really center around uh, this group of folks who were on the front line of the pandemic, uh, who were disadvantaged for financial and racial reasons, and to build a partnership to save the lives and to at least support the lives of those that were saving lives. And so that was phenomenal. And it was really neat to, to see how that, how that came together. Uh, the last thing I'll mention, just there's so many, but, you know, also projects around, you know, really saving and maintaining aspects of culture and language. And so throughout our church, throughout our country, uh, there are several languages, especially amongst uh, Native American members of our community that are, you know, not approaching extinction per se, but but nonetheless are would be a need of of some support and some excitement. And so it's been great to be able to fund and support that as well. Mm -hmm. Very cool. It seems like a common thread in some of this work is um, uh, 
finding ways of 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 identifying and celebrating and uh and and lifting up um um maybe you can help me put my finger on it it's, it's like stories and cultural resources and uh and 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 experiences um uh do you, is is it is it fair to say that um like part of what this work has been about has been about really like celebrating beloved community <laughs> and 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 if so um do you think that that's been maybe um surprising to some of the people who have uh maybe come, been coming at this work uh for the very first time or i don't does that question make sense <laughs> absolutely yes celebration has been an enormous part of the work and and it's been a part of the work that we've really been encouraging you know one thing that i i experience you know for example as a black and latino man is that so many times you know people who will talk with me or ask me questions about my experience uh, it's always about the things that are difficult about it. It's always about the struggles. Uh, it's always about what's going wrong. And yes, those things exist. And nonetheless, I think the stories that I tell and that I continue to yearn to tell the stories of our joy, the stories of our resilience, the stories of the resources that have allowed us to not just survive, but thrive and transform our church and transform uh, the places that we find ourselves. And so that's something that we really wanted to lift up because I mean, this work is work of the long haul. And I think we're only gonna have the energy for it if we are tapping into the joy and resilience also. So that's something that we've made sure to do. And you know, in addition to that, obviously a lot of you know, harder work or just different kinds of work has happened as well. Uh, one thing that I, I didn't mention, but you know, nonetheless represents a lot of what we've supported is you know, a lot of work around helping, you know, privileged folks, so in this case, mainly white folks, really figure out how to best organize and do their own work. And it's been great working with several organizations and several congregations that have taken approaches to that, that then they've been able to share with other people. And so the wonderful thing is that if you have, you know, white people and privileged communities really committing to doing their own work, then there becomes space, not just to celebrate, you know, the, the joy and the resilience, uh, but also to multiply it. You know, for us, it was really moving to hear so many stories of communities say, you know, we've neglected this for over a hundred years. And now is the time for us to face this. And now is the time for us to do this. Amen. Um, you talked about the summit and the, the sort of pivot that happened there. Um, uh, could you um, could you say more about like the kinds of sharing? Well, I, I I guess my question is was was that largely about uh, these different organizations sharing their experience with each other, sharing their learnings? And if so, um, are there ways that people who might not be on one of these funded projects can can sort of tap into some of what these groups are learning? Yeah, so we had several events, and so the first event that we had was shortly after when the in person summit would have been held. And that was largely one that gave space to sharing learnings. It was focused on people we've funded or people who've been doing the work for a really long time. And overall, people emerged from that, I think, feeling like they were better able to make connections with people doing similar work or were people doing different work, but with the kind of regionality where it made sense to work, work with each other anyway. And so that was the first event. And then... I think really the centerpiece of the 
summit work we've done was a three-day event that took place in the summer that had three days with different focuses. And, you know, with each one, you know, they allowed people at different stages, both those doing the work for a long time, those sort of figuring this out for the first time to really step in. And, and, and that was really great. And, you know, all of those thankfully were recorded and, you know, all the presentations, all the everything. And so um, that event, you know, each one of those events, you know, we had up to, you know, up to a thousand uh, subscribers, uh, up to a thousand people who could attend and each one of those events actually overbooked. And so, um, it was exciting to get that much participation and and yeah, it, it felt really successful and we've been able to continue that that momentum as well. Great. So um, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and uh, reflect a bit on um, on ways that your uh, your experience, um, uh, you know, your theological preparation at CDSP, may have, you know, shaped how you've, um, how you've engaged with this work? Are there things that, um, things that you're grateful for from your seminary days as you've gone about this, things you, um, things you, um, wish, wish you'd had? Love to, love to hear more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think CDSP really set me up for this work in, I think, intentional ways and in unintentional ways. (laughs) I mean, for me, CDSP felt like a cultural immersion in a way. I, mm-hmm. I'd grown up in you know, fairly diverse environments, definitely more majority of color, but you know, between my high school and my college, I've been around large groups of white people. But one thing that I'd never done, I'd actually never prayed with white people before. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember showing up to the retreat and you know, I was one of just a handful of students of color and everybody was singing hymns that they knew and mm. everything about the worship felt so foreign to me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, dang, man, I'm going to have to do this for three <laughs> years. <You know? laughs> and, and it was wild. And, and so I think, and, and I laugh about it. And truth be told, I loved praying with, with my classmates at CDSP. And I learned to appreciate the 1982 hymnal in, in ways I never thought possible. And so all that was wonderful. And, you know, nonetheless, I think what it, it showed me uh, that, you know, for our church to truly have like space uh, for everyone, that it was going to take a, a level of discomfort, you know, on the part of you know, those who were most comfortable. And I saw that as, you know, my classmates, you know, tried on worship that I was bringing to the community through experimental liturgies. I saw that through the different kinds of conversations that we were having. And so, you know, to have that experience, I think for me was, was really helpful because I saw it work, work well, you know, even in a place where, you know, I was forced to be a fairly extreme minority. And that was one thing, you know, I think the theological preparation that I got at CDSP was wonderful. I took a constructive theology course with uh, Dr. Marion Grau and, one thing that I loved about that is it gave me the opportunity to really overlay the theology I was studying and beginning to attempt to create with what was going on around me. You know, we had uh, 
chances at the beginning of class to give reflections, theological, theological reflections. And I remember bringing in some rap lyrics that I was hearing in a totally different way because of what I learned from that class. And so where have I gone since then? I think for me, it's allowed me to see and understand things uh, theologically and, you know, integrate that into everything I do. And so it's impacted, obviously my preaching has impacted this work of beloved community as well. You know, when we Mm -hmm. use words, beloved community, we talk about the kingdom of God and, you know, my training at CDSP allows me to understand how these words are both fruitful and loaded and in ways that allow us to use them in helpful ways and also in ways that implore us to be careful with how we use them also. So yes, that was, that was wonderful. That was great preparation for me. And finally, I think the support on contextual education, I was blessed to do a field education in two really different contexts uh, at a predominantly Mexican and Mexican American church in San Jose that was in Spanish and, you know, gave me that experience that was really unique and wonderful. And then at a predominantly Afro-Caribbean church in Oakland as well. And so the chance not just to have those experiences, but to reflect about them alongside my classmates, I think Mm -hmm. helped me see once again, how do people come together and uh, also helped me see, you know, what does it mean to be asking these questions within communities within which everybody is a person of color. And Mm -hmm. that's critical work that I'm doing now um, as I'm, currently at my parish and also, you know, working with communities of color throughout the country. Thanks for that. So um, I guess relatedly then, do you have some um, advice for seminaries, for dioceses, for the communities that you, uh, you know, engage with uh, through, through the, um, through the beloved community work that you're doing on a national level? Um, Are are there a couple pieces of advice that, uh, that you would give about, um, how we can how we can do beloved community work um, more effectively and and then more joyfully and and uh, um, all the rest. Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, it starts with relationship, and it starts with the most local relationship that you can possibly muster. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I see in institutions and in schools and churches is oftentimes. Groups will say, okay, we want to think about and address our racism. We want to build relationships with people who are really different from us. And oftentimes the first place they go is more far afield than from those who are right around them. And so I think what I would say to anyone who is really serious about learning about the work of beloved community, that's really serious about doing the work of beloved community, becoming beloved community is look right around you. Uh, Who's in your neighborhood? who's in your family, uh, who's next to you in class, and start there. Because oftentimes those closest to us are going to be those that have the clearest sense of how we're actually doing. Um, And oftentimes that work is more challenging than being in a more theoretical or perhaps even just a more distant space. And so I'd Mm -hmm. implore anyone to do that. And so if if we're talking about seminaries, talking about institutions, and I think the question is, okay, so if we're really serious about beloved community, you know, what does it mean for the folks who are right outside of your walls, right outside of the campus? You know, one of the most formative things I did during seminary is I worked with uh, at-risk high school students uh, who were sort of 
in and out of the criminal justice system at Berkeley High School. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, when I think about Berkeley, I think about those students and I think about their families. Uh, you know, most of my classmates didn't have that experience. Can experiences like that that are meaningful and impactful and have good outcomes for, you know, these other people involved, can experience like that be more common? Uh, because I think when they are, then wherever we are, we'll be able to create beloved communities so much more effectively. Yeah, yeah. And um, as you're hearing, I'm trying to find a formulation of this question. Um, as you're as you're hearing from communities that have really taken up that particular call and and really um, started with relationship nearby. Um, um, are there some are there some stories you've heard or some or, or some learnings you know I, I just like what what um what happens what happens when we when we start this the right way what are you, what are you hearing from folks yeah so oftentimes uh, so what i've heard is the people you know those neighbors you know those folks nearby uh, will often talk about having waited for this moment for a really long time you know, I when I think about some of the communities we've worked with, you know, we have this church that this Episcopal church has been in its area for a long time and have these Baptist neighbors. And, you know, they see these neighbors at marches and functions and gatherings. Uh, they, you know, will occasionally invite these neighbors to things, but never have the two met and done Bible study and connected with each other. And you know, the beautiful thing is that we've been able to walk with them as they've done this for the first time. And, you know, every single time they say, we've been waiting for this moment, you know, we are ready to work with you. We're excited to work with you. And so this isn't to say that that those nearest to you are often very excited about it. Oftentimes they're <laughs> close to us or those who have been most hurt by us. Uh, and nonetheless, I find that, you know, that work has often been the most long time coming. And, you know, even through the pain and difficulty and awkwardness of it ends up yielding the most fruit right away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Um, so to close, um, I wonder if there's, um, I, I want to give you a chance to, uh, uh, testify, not that you haven't, uh, been, uh, throughout, but, um, is there, is there just, um, from, from your vantage point, is, is there just anything else you w- would want would want folks to know uh, about this work, uh, how it's how it's impacted you, how it's impacting communities. Uh, any 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 last words for us um, from where you're sitting? Yeah. So first and foremost, I've learned a ton. Um, I've learned a lot about beloved community. I've learned a lot about cultures different from mine. You know, within the Episcopal Church, at least here in the United States, you know, as someone who's Black and Latino, as someone who's come from where I've come from in my family. You know, I am often put in the position of of teacher, of explainer, of you know somebody who who gets it. And so, one wonderful thing is, especially you know, alongside my non-binary siblings who are part of this work, alongside you know my Asian Pacific American siblings and and also the indigenous folks, is I've learned a lot, and mm-hmm. I've learned ways that you know I'm perpetuating things that are difficult from other people. I've learned ways that you know, perhaps, you know, me and my communities can collaborate more effectively. And so that's been great. And so I feel like I am emerging from, you know, this leadership position, uh, having 
just become a better human, you know, a better, a better Christian, a better follower of Jesus, a, a better dad, a better everything, uh, in part because, you know, I've had to grow to do this work too. And so that's something that I, I'm deeply grateful for and I want to put out there because, you know, sometimes there are those of us who, you know, become, you know, the experts or the teachers and, you know, I, I can attest that I've learned so much more than, than I've taught. I, I can really say that. So that's something that I'll put out there. Uh, another thing is that it's been so much fun. <laughs> it's been absolutely so much fun. I mean, for one, within Episcopal context to be in gatherings that are so overwhelmingly of color mm. and, and diversely so um, has just been great. And, yeah. and, and, and I've really enjoyed that. And, and on top of that, I think just to know that everyone is as in love with the church uh, as I am, if not more, and that everyone is also as committed to the vision of what the church can be, um, has made it just deeply enjoyable. And so I feel like through this work, I've had the chance to make some amazing friends and yeah, they will be friends for, for a lifetime. And so that's mm -hmm. been wonderful. It's been great. And, and I've been super excited about it as well. And yeah, the last thing I'll say is that it's, it's also just deeply personal for me. You know, I, I've mentioned perhaps at the beginning that now I'm also a father and, you know, my sons, Francisco and Santiago are, you know, coming up in a world that, you know, isn't always excited about their presence. And for me, the work we're doing right now makes me feel like, okay, wherever the world is, wherever this country is, that the church is going to be more so. And yeah, that, that is enough to get me up to do it again and again and again all the time. So yeah, it's been a great blessing. Uh, it's been wonderful. I would do it again a million times over and, you know, I'm looking forward to where the next call will be. Yeah. Well, Edwin Johnson, thank you so, so much for your time and your insight, uh, for your leadership in this ministry and, um, for sharing a bit, uh, with our listeners about, uh, about what you've been up to and, and about beloved community, um, hopefully in, in all our contexts as we, uh, as we continue to engage in this moment. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.